Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoy the message. What's going on, everybody? How are we doing this morning? Awesome. It's great to see you today. Uh, my name is Chad Crouch. I'm one of the pastors here at Dogwood Church, and it's my honor, my pleasure uh, to be speaking with you this morning. Well, as Sean said, we are in week four uh, of the Miracle of Mercy series. And today I'm going to be talking to you, like he said, about being merciful with difficult people. Now, I want to give you a quick disclaimer here. I am not at all an expert on being merciful with difficult people. However, I did have the added advantage, I do have the added advantage of living with a person who is merciful and an expert at being merciful with difficult people. Because for the past nine years, my wife has lived with me. And she is an expert on dealing with difficult people. And I can be an incredibly difficult person to live with. And let me just give you one example. The first off is that I am one of the spaciest people on the planet. One of the spaciest people on the planet. I leave the closet light on every single day. I was waiting for her to say amen, but she didn't. Um, every single day, I leave the closet light on. And that's just the start of the, the difficult behavior, okay? I regularly take my children out of the bathtub, go to dry their hair, only to realize all of the shampoo is still in their hair. Happens all the time. Last Christmas, I was two hours late for Christmas dinner because I could not find my car keys. Two hours late. This happens all the time. I've also, on a couple of occasions, forgotten to close the back hatch of my Jeep. And on a couple of occasions, spilled all over the road some very expensive items because I did not close the back. I do this kind of thing all the time. I'm spacey. I'm a very difficult person when it comes to that. Now, I want to give you another example of a time that I was difficult for my wife. So Lauren and I, so we've been married for nine years. Over that nine years, we've done a ton of DIY projects together, probably literally hundreds of them. We finished, uh, we built a house together last year. We finished it. We built it ourselves. We've done hundreds of projects. Now, Uh, Several years back, we were at a different house, and we were doing some landscaping around the house. And there was this tree that was just a little bit too close to the house, and we decided that the tree needed to go. And so I took it upon myself to take this tree down. And so um, I get a chainsaw out, and I'm like, I'm going to take this thing down. You know, I'm going to take care of it. And um, I just want to go ahead and release the tension in the room. I did not drop the tree on the house, okay? So I cut the tree down, just beautiful, exactly where I wanted it to go. It comes down, and so all I need to do at this point is chop the tree up into some manageable pieces and then put it in the back of my truck. So I pull my truck over, and uh, just a quick note to the story here. This was and is the only brand-new vehicle I have ever owned, okay? So it, it, was, it was like three weeks old, you know, beautiful, shadow gray F-150. I love that truck. And so I back it up bring it over there, and I start tossing these logs into the back of the truck, and then, and then Lauren comes out to help me. God love her. And so she comes out, and she's got, she's got her garden gloves on, you know, the little cloth gloves that won't actually protect you from anything. And um, so she, and they have flowers on them, and so she, and I'm out there, I'm sweating, you know, I'm throwing these logs in the back of the truck, and she's picking up the little branches, you know, and she's placing them into the back of the truck so delicately. And, and in my mind, automatically, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to say anything. You know, thank you for your help so much. I was being a jerk, okay, in my mind. I was being a jerk. And so a few minutes of this goes on. And finally, I was like, Lauren, you're awesome. Thank you so much for coming out here and helping me with the little bitty branches. But please don't scratch my truck, okay? Just, you're, you're getting close. Just don't scratch it. It's brand new. It's three weeks old. Please don't scratch it. Unfortunately, God was listening. And literally, the next log, I, you know, so I'm throwing these logs, and all of a sudden, somewhere between here and here, something went wrong. There was a coordination, a muscle memory that didn't go right, and so I let the log go, and I'm watching, 
and it's going, and it will not stop going, and it keeps going, and the bang heard around the world as it shatters through the back window of my brand-new three-week-old shadow gray F-150. There's glass everywhere. There is a log in the back of the truck. And, and in that moment, I'm thinking to myself, don't look at her. Don't look at your wife. And so I just wait a minute, and then I kind of just, you know, peek over there, and I'm waiting, and she is expressionless on her face. She's just sort of, you know, no smile, <laughs> nothing, no words for a few moments. And then finally she just says, God sure does have a sense of humor, doesn't he? And then she walks off and continues to pick up the branches with her flower gloves. But I was being a difficult person in that moment. I was being condescending. I was being prideful. And I, frankly, I was just being a jerk, basically. But so it turns out that writing a message on how to deal with difficult people was incredibly easy because all I needed to figure out how to do is how I want my wife to treat me. That's all I needed to figure out. So the truth is, though, that we all no difficult people. We all have difficult people in our lives. You might even be sitting next to that difficult person right now, but, but, but do not tap them. Do not poke them. Do not look at them. If you do, it might turn out that you are actually the difficult person. Maybe God put me here to say that to you this morning. I'm just saying, sorry. But um, we, have, we all have difficult people in our lives. We have people that just drive us nuts, people who are obnoxious, people who are awkward and hard to be around. Maybe they never say thank you. Maybe they cause a ton of drama in your life. They're rude or they're negative. They complain about everything. They send everything back at restaurants. Nothing's ever right for them. Or they criticize you. Confession time. For me, difficult people are the people who block intersections. 54 and 74 in front of the avenue. All the time. And the light turns green and you can't go because they're there in the middle of the intersection, and they can't go because their light is red, but they chose to come out in the intersection anyway. If there's any Peachtree City police officers in the room here today who put that little sign up that says, don't block intersection, I love you, man. I got love for you this morning, okay? But we have all these kinds of difficult people in our lives, and these are funny, and sometimes they're, they're, but sometimes they're more serious than somebody just being rude or awkward. Sometimes they're more serious than a mild inconvenience or an uncomfortable encounter. Sometimes Difficult people can hurt us. Sometimes there's people who have an out-of-control temper or a cruel tongue or they stab us in the back or they betray us or they hurt us. Just difficult people. You know, in most retail stores, uh, you can go and you can go to the very back of the store and it's oftentimes in the very back corner. There's a specific section of things on sale. And I know this particularly well, my wife and I, because we buy everything on sale because we're very cheap. But there's a tip-off with these items. Again, they're always on sale, and they usually have this little red tag on them. It's taped or it's hanging from the items, but it always has the same words. And, that I, and the tag says, as is. And so what the store is telling you is that you're going to find a flaw here in this item. You're going to find a stain that won't come out, that there is a piece that's missing or broken. It's a zipper that won't zip or a button that won't button up. These items are going to come with some difficulty. And the truth is, We all have some of those people in our life who just sort of come as is. And we know that when they're around, it's going to come with a little bit of difficulty. I can joke with my wife and I say that you got me on sale because I come with a little bit of difficulty. I come sort of as is. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next few minutes talking about these difficult people, these people that just sort of come as is. And how do we deal with those people? And even more than that, how can we go beyond just dealing with them and have patience and have mercy with people like that? 
And so what I want to do, I want to leave you with a question today that when you leave here that you can ask yourself when you're in those moments, when you're back at the office and you're next to that person again, or you're at dinner tonight and you're next to that person again, or you're in traffic. And the question that I want to pose to us this morning is this, what does mercy require of me? Will you say that with me this morning? What does mercy require of me? And so together this morning, we're going to try to figure that out together. Uh, We're going to be jumping around a lot. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and pull it out. And we're going to be jumping to a lot of different scriptures very quickly. If you don't have a Bible or if I'm going too fast, they are going to be up on the screen as well. And you can look on there with me uh, when we do. Now, not too long ago, uh, my oldest child, uh, my daughter, started kindergarten. All right. And that was a big change for us. There was a lot of stuff that came with that. And so it's a big new thing for her. It's a new school. It's a new schedule, a new set of expectations and new kids in the class. And so she comes home on one particular day and she tells me that um, somebody's been giving her a hard time, that there's another little girl in the class who's been being sort of difficult with her. And she said, oh, you know, she's giving me a hard time in class and she took some of my things and and giving her a tough time on the playground. So just being difficult with her. And I thought, well, if anybody should be able to give, you know, advice on mercy with difficult people, it's me, I'm a pastor. I got this. Okay, so bring her in like, okay, this is what we're going to do. I, I, want you, I wanted to give her some good, strong, sound, biblical advice. And so I, I, but I said, I want you to go in tomorrow. I want you to find that person and smile and go up very gently and very lovingly. And then I want you to do what the Bible says, and I want you to give them the opportunity to turn the other cheek by punching them in the face. Okay, that's what I wanted to say to her. That's what I wanted to say. But it wasn't too long after that that I had a little bit of a perspective change. And I was very glad that I did not give my daughter that advice. It wasn't too long after that that I found out that this particular little girl, her parents were going through a divorce. And now I didn't really know the little girl. I didn't know her parents at all. But I could imagine, we can all imagine what this little girl was going through. Maybe, you know, the dad that she grew up with all the time wasn't at the house anymore. And, he, you know, mom not getting along quite as well as they used to. And he's not there. And maybe mom all of a sudden is trying to pick up the slack and trying to do the work of two people instead of just what she did before. And, and she's stressed. And this little girl, all of a sudden, her world has been turned upside down. And that's one of the first things I want us to understand as we ask the question, what does mercy re- require of me? We need to try to understand the pain behind the problem. We want to understand the pain behind the problem. What's causing this person to be so difficult? What's causing them to wear this as-is tag? Why are they being short? Why, why are they treating me this way? Did they have a fight with their spouse? Maybe, maybe they're having trouble at work. Maybe they're having health problems or financial problems or relational problems. But what is the pain behind the problem? What is causing them to be as is? And one thing I think we need to understand is that hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. We need to try to understand that it's co- the, the pain that it's causing them to hurt other people. Now, I want to tell you another story. When I was, uh, I was fresh out of college, I was just 22 or 23 years old, and I'd taken my first job uh, at a church on the north side of Atlanta. I was the worship pastor, which means I oversaw all the music and uh, all the songs and all the scheduling of the players and all the things that we were doing from a music perspective was my job. So uh, I had this one particular older man who gave me a terribly hard time early on in my job. He he hated everything I did. He hated the songs that we sang. He hated the way that we sang them. He hated the instruments that we used when we sang them. He hated everything I wore and everything I said, everything that I was doing. He could not stand it. And this was not something that he just sort of quietly suggested to me one day or he wrote quietly on a communication card. We do get those, by the way. Um, but he made it known to everybody 
He, he had talked to the senior pastor about it. He had talked to the elders about it. And um, there were streams of emails with reply to all. Everybody knew what was going on and how much this guy just couldn't stand what I was doing. Now, again, this was my very first job. And so I was angry about that, right? I was frustrated. And, and they made me nervous, honestly. I'm like, am I going to lose my job over what this guy is saying about me? I was frustrated. And honestly, I didn't know how to handle it. I was new, and I didn't yet understand that if you dig down far enough under the issue that you're having with a person, sometimes it's just the tip of the iceberg. And there's so, something so much more serious and so much more tremendous going on underneath the surface. Well, time went on, and I eventually um, I took a job at another church a few years later. And I was talking to a friend of mine who still went to that church one day, and we were having a conversation. And he told me that this particular man who'd given me this hard time had committed suicide and he had taken his own life. And I was just shocked by this. And it turned out that all of that complaining and all of that anger was just the tip of the iceberg. It It wasn't what was really going on. The truth was that this man for years and years and years had struggled with severe anxiety and severe depression. And now his marriage is falling apart and his whole life is unraveling before his eyes. And in that moment, as frustrated as I was by him and as frustrated as I was by that situation, in that moment, I wished so badly that I could go back and I could ask the question, what was the pain behind the problem? Because if anything, I think if I had known what the pain was behind the problem. If anything else, I could have had just a little bit more patience, just a little bit more mercy and a little bit more understanding. And maybe I would have done nothing to fix the problems that he was complaining to me about. Maybe I shouldn't have done anything or couldn't have done anything, but maybe we could have had a conversation long enough for me to find out, hey man, there's something else going on here. There's something else going on. The first passage I wanna read to you this morning comes from the book of Ephesians. It's chapter four, verse 33, and it's gonna come up on the screen here. And it says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So again, we ask ourselves the question, what does mercy require of me? It requires of us enough kindness and compassion enough to understand there is a lot of times pain behind the problem. And here's the thing, if you don't know what that problem is, Sometimes you can just ask. If you have that kind of relationship with that person, if you're close to them, you can ask. And you don't have to be all churchy about it. Hey, man, what is the pain behind the problem? You don't have to ask that way. You say, hey, man, you seem a little bit on edge. Is everything okay? How's things at work? How how are things at home? What's going on, man? And sometimes you, you may not know the person well enough to ask that sort of question. You don't need to ask anything at all. If you're at the grocery store and the checkout clerk is being slow and they're like, they'd rather be anywhere but here and everybody around you is losing their patience, maybe what mercy requires of you in that moment is that you just be cool and you just smile and you just be polite and you do everything you can to, to say, what does mercy require of me, of this person, this checkout clerk behind the counter? Because if you dig down deep enough, everybody is going through something. And everybody is hurting about something. And sometimes a person's difficulty is caused by a deep hurt or a deep trauma. And sometimes their difficulty is even caused by a sin that they are desperately, desperately trying to cover up. That they don't want anybody to find out about. And what these people need, they don't need condemnation. They don't need our condescension. What they need is a little bit of compassion. And sometimes what they need is community. Because what our tendency is... Our tendency is to take our pain and to hide it like our life 
depended on it. And guys, we do this all the time, like our life depended on it. But the truth is, life depends, sometimes like in this story, quite literally on that pain not being hidden, but being found out by a person who's loving enough and compassionate enough to understand the pain behind the problem and to have mercy and patience in return. Man, that's, that's really hard for us. Because our tendency is to not want to look at the pain behind the problem. The tendency is to want to look at the, the pain that that person is causing us, right? The difficulty that, that they bring to our lives. And sometimes we take this even to the next level and we go even further. And we will go so far as to identify the person by the problem. To assign identity based on the difficulty. And here's what I mean by that. Well, that's, that's Tim. He, he's the guy who spits when he talks. That's who he is. That's that girl. That's... That's Tiffany. She's like always butting in on our conversation. We're talking, not talking to her, but she always comes in and she butts in on the conversation. Well, that's the guy who shows up uninvited. Doesn't matter where we go. We never tell him. We try to hide from him, but he shows up anyway. Okay, or that's the kid who just won't stop talking. Okay, so my name is Chad. When I was a kid, my nickname was Chatterbox. That's what my nickname was all through elementary school. This is what people called me. Uh, does anybody remember Silent Lunch? Anybody, you have teachers in the room, they were saying amen. Okay, I, it's at the end of the table, there's the kid by himself, and he's not allowed to talk to anybody because he talks too much. That was me, three days a week, silent lunch. When I was in high school, I had to be removed from the other kids in the class. Okay, so the kids are all sitting here, and I was over in the corner because I talked too much. And so you asked, Chad, how did you overcome this issue? I grew up, and I got a job where they gave me a microphone. Okay, <laughs> that's what I did. And so now... I have a son, a precious son. He won't stop talking, okay? My wife and I, we have a terrible time speaking to each other because he will not stop talking, but we literally do that. We identify the person by their difficulty. And sometimes it's a small thing like that. Sometimes it's even more of a joke, but sometimes it's a little bit more serious than that. Well, that's Amy. I think she's been married like four or five times, she, you know, I'm not really sure what's going on with her and her family. But that's Jake, and he, he was the guy who was addicted to pornography. Or he's the alcoholic. Or that's the kid whose family, um, whose kids were taken from him into foster care. And what we do when we do this is we're basically saying that this whole person, their, their whole life, all of their successes, all of their failures, their relationships, their past and their present, all of that simply adds up to this one thing, that they're defined by this one thing, one difficulty, this one mistake. And we're doing nothing more than subtracting value from that person, saying that, man, they're, they're as is. They're damaged. They're, you know, they're honestly, they're just worth, worth a little bit less just worth less. We're bringing them down and placing a name and an identity with their lowest denominator. And we do this more often than you think we do. I'm going to give you an example. So um, guys, I'm talking to you particularly here for just a couple of minutes, but um, say somebody, you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off in traffic, okay? Somebody pulls right out in front of you. What is the first thing you want to do when somebody cuts you off in traffic? Anybody? So this is, maybe it's just, I want to speed up. Okay, so they pull out in front of me, and I want to speed up. I want them to think that, oh, man, it was a lot closer than it actually was. That, that, was, that was a lot, you know, that could have been worse. I want them to know. And then let's say it's a four-lane road or like a road like 74. What's the next thing you do? You pull up right next to them, right? 
You got your arm on the steering wheel and you're already looking, you're giving them the look. You guys know what I'm talking about with the look? It says, if you were on fire and I had a cup of water, I would drink it. I hate you. That's the look I'm talking about. You guys know the look I'm talking about. They do that. And so, you know, maybe then a couple minutes goes by, you know, and you've given them the death stare and you felt satisfied by that. And maybe your rage calms down a little bit. But what happens after that is we begin the process of judgment and devaluing those people after that. So we start slowing down. Their car cools off. And we start looking at their car. Like, is that a Trump sticker? Is that a Clinton sticker? Just like somebody like that to pull out in front of me. <laughs> Vote for those people. Is that a Dogwood Church sticker? Hypocrites. What? Man, is that a Meriwether County tag? Peachtree City? What are they doing here? They're on their phone, man. It's your world. I'm just living in it, man. And all of a sudden, we begin to make assumptions about who they are and even what they're worth by this one small act that they've done. This one insignificant thing. And I don't know about you, but I thank God this morning that he doesn't assign my identity, my value, by one thing that I've done, two things that I've done, or the whole heaping pile of things that I've done. And this is one of the things that we must remember, that in addition to this as-is tag that so many people, these difficult people wear, that in addition to that tag, there's a sticker, there's another tag And that tag is from God. And that tag says, made in my image. It says, worth the life of my son. It says, my prized possession whose value is beyond calculation. Because the value of a person is not based on what they do. The value of a person is based on whom they belong to. So if the question is what does mercy requires of me? It requires that we understand that a person is so much more than their problem. Mercy requires that we understand that everybody that you ever come eyeball to eyeball with matters to God. Everybody who annoys us, everybody who tries our patience, everybody we try to avoid, everybody who cuts us off in traffic matters to God. They were all designed, thought up, and created by God. You may say, man, well, maybe God's not all that great of a designer. He made you too. He made you too. Everybody you come eyeball to eyeball with matters to God. And every individual is loved and cared for by God. And mercy requires that we do the same. I want to read another passage with you this morning. And this passage comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I love the way the New Living Translation puts this verse. And this is a big one. Okay, I want you to write this verse down. I want you to memorize. It's the easiest verse in the world to memorize. So easy. But this is the verse. It says this. Let love be your highest goal. Will you say that with me? Let love be your highest goal. Again, I want you to write that down. I think that verse is applicable to almost any situation that you can find yourself in. If you're having conflict with somebody and you need to figure out how to resolve it, maybe let love be your highest goal. That's the first thing that you should say. If you want to be a better spouse, maybe let love be your highest goal. Do you want to make a difference in this world? Let love be your highest goal. And so when we ask the question, what does mercy require of me when it comes to dealing with difficult people? It requires that we let love be our highest goal. And oftentimes when we're dealing with difficult people, Love is one of the last goals. 
And higher than that, sometimes there are goals like avoiding somebody who's annoying or difficult. If they're going over there, I'm going to make sure that I'm over here so we don't have to be around each other. Or maybe your goal is just letting them know simply that they've done something wrong. So if they cut you off in traffic, you're like me and you speed up just so they know that what they did was wrong. Or maybe you let them know by pulling up next to them and giving them the universal hand sign for I am not that thrilled with you and what you did. Maybe your highest goal is letting them know by being in the checkout line and then, you know, instead of being patient and letting love be your highest goal, you're rolling your eyes and you're being frustrated and you're escalating the situation. And over the goal of getting revenge or taking your frustration out, we've got to let love be your highest goal. So one of the most well-known verses about love in the Bible, and maybe one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible, is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. And it says this. It says, love is patient. You guys know this verse. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not conceited. It does not act improperly. It is not selfish, it is not provoked, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. You're like, wait, 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 that's like the married people verse. That's the one they do at the weddings, and it sounds really nice, and maybe it applies to your parents, and maybe it applies to your kids, but who does that really apply to? Who is Jesus telling us to love? Well, it, if you've been here the last couple weeks, and if you hadn't, I'm going to tell you who it is. Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, he says, love your neighbor. You're like, well, who is my neighbor? Your neighbor's the guy who cuts you off in traffic. Your neighbor is the person, God help me, who blocks 74 and 54. That's my neighbor. Your neighbor is the one who talks about you behind your back. Your neighbor is the one who rubs you the wrong way. Your neighbor is the one who gives you the universal hand sign for, I'm not that thrilled with you. But mercy requires, and God requires, that we let love be our highest goal. Now, so many people often believe that spiritual maturity is measured how much time you spend reading the Bible, or how often you attend church, or how many of those bad sins that you avoid. You know, like, these, these sins are okay, but those are really bad. How many of those that we avoid? Or how often we pray, or how long we pray, or how many spiritual words and phrases that we use that nobody really understands. And there's some people who even believe that their refusal to associate with difficult people or sinful people or people who don't live up to our religious standards, that that is the highest proof of our devotion for God. But if that's how you've been measuring your spiritual maturity, then you have forgotten one very important measuring stick or some of those you've been measuring with the wrong stick altogether. Because the ultimate expression of a relationship with God it's love. That's it. The ultimate expression of a relationship with God is love. And it's love for him and it's love for other people. And don't miss this. You have got to have both. You have to have both. There's a lot of people in the world who love people but have no love for God. They don't care about God. They don't want to have anything to do with God. They may not even believe that God exists. And on the flip side, there's a lot of Christians in this world who say they love God, but they have absolutely no love for other people. Don't miss this this morning, that your level of mercy towards difficult people is a direct indicator of how much you love God. Your mercy for other people is a direct indicator of how much you love God. So if that's true, if that's true, if love is the ultimate expression of your relationship with God, then in the same way lovelessness 
lack of mercy and lack of love is the ultimate expression of sin. It's the ultimate expression of sin. You cannot love God and not love people. You cannot love God and not be merciful to people, even difficult people. And I want to be clear this morning that that letting love be your highest goal does not always mean that you just take this passive tolerance approach to things, that you just let anything slide and you let anything go by and that sort of thing. Sometimes love requires that you step up and have a difficult conversation. Sometimes it requires that. If you have the right relationship with that person, it's the right person and the circumstances are right. It might be something like someone you know well who's struggling with an addiction or with abuse or dishonesty or it could be anything and even some smaller things in that. But hear me say, you can do that and let love be your highest goal. You can do that in a loving way where love is the highest goal, their good is the highest goal, and not, for instance, say something like your judgment is the highest goal or your pride or your frustration or your condescension. You basically say, I just cannot take it anymore. I need to let them know how I feel. They need to know. They need to know what they're doing to me. Let love be your highest goal. In Colossians chapter three, verses 12 through 14, it says this, therefore God's chosen ones, holy and loved, Put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. Now, I think that verse brings out one of the most difficult things there is about having mercy and love towards difficult people. Because you see, many of us, many of us have been hurt by people, hurt by difficult people. And our tendency when we get hurt is to what? We want to hurt back. That's just part of our sinful nature. It's part of our, our, our human condition. We want retribution. We, we might call it fairness sometimes. Sometimes we, in our minds, will, will you know, logically try to make it sound like justice, but it's nothing more than sweet revenge. And it happens every day. It happens on a relational scale, on a national scale, and on a global scale. So what we see every day in the news on, on drive-by shootings and in suicide bombings is nothing more than the outworking of anger that is in every person's heart. We get hurt and we want to hurt back. This happens in our world every day too. You're at the office. Somebody that you work with, a coworker, took credit for what you did because he wanted to get ahead. He took credit for what you did. He went behind your back about a project that you were working on and talked to somebody and he got the glory for what you did. And you're angry about that. And this happens in our marriages all the time. Guys, we get hurt by our spouse or how our spouse hurts our feelings. Could be something small. And then all of a sudden, we just want to be cold and we want to be distant. Your wife says, hey, what's wrong? What's going on? Nothing. I'm fine. What are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. We do that all the time. We get hurt and we want to hurt back. It happens in the church. It happens in the Middle East. It happens on the South China Sea. And it happens on our small groups. We get hurt and we want to hurt back. But the Bible says something about forgiveness that we don't really like to talk about all that much in church. It's pretty, something pretty difficult. It's one of those things like no lying and no gossiping and no gluttony that we just sort of like, that was more of a, you know, suggestion than anything else. And we find this difficult passage in one of the most familiar passages of Scripture in the Bible. If you don't even go to church, you probably know a part of this passage. It comes from the Lord's Prayer. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. It says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. 
very important little word in there, right in the middle, that changes everything about that passage. And that word is as. God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's this direct connection with the forgiveness that we receive from God and the forgiveness that we give to other people. And Jesus, just a couple of verses later, he takes all the subtlety out of it this time. He says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14, he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And we don't talk about that very often, do we? Because our expectation is that God is just gonna keep shoveling on the grace for us. Keep it coming, God. I need it to keep on coming. And he will do that. But that's our expectation. God, I'm so sorry that I have been struggling for years with the same sin, the same problems. I've made no effort to change. I have no accountability. I am so sorry, God. I'm sorry that I include you in absolutely zero parts of my life. I'm sorry I treat you like a fixer and I really only come around when I need something from you, God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I choose a hundred things over you every single day. God, I am, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And then in the very next breath, can you believe what that guy did to me? We'll never speak to that guy again. Never. I'm finished with her. I've had enough of her stuff. I've had enough of her nonsense and her behavior and everything that she's doing. Can you believe they did not invite me to that party? They are never coming to my house again. We do this all the time. So you see, we will ask God to forgive us for the mountain while we hold a grudge over a grain of sand. So what does mercy require of me? That's the question we're asking this morning. What does mercy require of me with those as-is people, with those difficult people? It requires that we do our best to try and see the pain that's behind the problem. And it requires that we try to stop identifying the person by the problem. And finally, it requires that we let love be our highest goal. I'm gonna go ahead, I wanna ask... um, the band to come up as I close out this morning. We're gonna sing again in just a moment. But here's what I think is the most difficult part of this whole thing. Even more difficult than asking the question, you know, what does mercy require of me? Even more difficult than trying to understand their pain or not identifying them by the problem. And even more difficult than letting love be our highest goal, which is incredibly difficult. Even more difficult than that is realizing that that as is tag that hangs from all these people that we have in our mind right now, doesn't just hang from them. That as is tag hangs from every single one of us. The truth is that all of us are difficult for somebody. We've all given somebody a hard time. What's even more true than that is every single one of us has been difficult for the God who loves us and the God who made us. Because human beings started the as is corner of the universe. It was our invention. We came up with that. That's not the world that God dreamed up in his perfect plan and thought up and created. See, God invented a world where every marriage works. God invented a world where all children were meant to be safe. God invented a world where nobody ever had too little. Too little food, no home, no shelter, no place to go. God invented a world where Israeli children and Palestinian children played together every day and laughed together on the West Bank. 
God invented a world where the news was filled with stories of beauty and stories of courage. God invented a world where people did scheme behind each other's backs, but it was to help each other succeed and to help each other be better and to love better. God invented a world where doors had no locks and cars had no alarms, where the word cancer was in nobody's vocabulary, where decay and age were a foreign concept and where the word death was never feared or even thought of or heard of. This is the world that God created. This is the world that we were designed to live in. If you're ever in the middle of a situation and you think, I mean, this just doesn't feel right. I just wasn't meant for this. It's because this is the world that you were designed to live in. The world you were made for. But at some point, each of us has wondered, does God really have my best interests at heart? Am I going to miss out on something if I obey him? That we'd, been willing to, we'd be willing to set aside what God wants, what we want, if it serves our interests and our purposes. Or maybe we've even believed that God wasn't there at all. From that point on, when we decided that we'd rather do things our way than God's way, much of the time, things got a little bit difficult. Things got a little bit broken by man. Marriages started falling apart. There were a lot of people in need. Doors got locked, alarms went off, the news was full of all the things that you see on the news every day. Crime, deceit, deception, and scandal. And Israel and Palestine fight over, over, on and on over what they believe is rightfully theirs. It's broken, and things are difficult. But, but God decided to do something great. God decided that mercy required something great. He decided to take this world, this world that turned their backs on him, and he decided to take them as is. He decided to look past all of the problems, and he decided to look to the pain, and he decided not to call us for for what we were. He decided not to call us sinners or not to call us traitors and not to stamp our identity with, with the problems that we created. He decided not to let revenge or retribution or wrath be his highest goal. He decided to send Jesus to the cross to pay the penalty for our difficulty and our brokenness. He decided not to call us sinners and not to call us traitors, but to call us children of God. And that his highest goal for humanity is love and forgiveness and mercy and grace. And that mercy is available to every single one of us this morning. All we have to do is be willing to accept it. And if you're a Christian today, I just want to say your number one motive and reason for being merciful with difficult people is just the fact that God has poured out a lavish amount of mercy on you already. That's our number one motive. If you're not a Christian this morning, I just want you to know that that mercy and that grace that we're talking about this morning, that is available to you today. It is available to you right now. It's just an instant away. It's just a breath away. That's all it is. So I'm going to ask you, let's all bow our heads together this morning. And if that is you today, if you're here today and you say for the first time, I need I, that mercy, that grace, I need that. That's what I need in my life. That's what I'm missing from my life. I want to be a part of that. It's available to you right now. And I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or do anything like that. I'm just going to ask you to take a couple moments in the quiet and just 
in your own words, tell God that you would like to receive that mercy and that grace right now. Say, God, from here on, I'm following you. I'm giving you my life. You can do that right now. I'm gonna give you just a couple of moments. God, this morning, we are so thankful for your mercy and your grace. Recognizing this morning, God, that we are the ones who have broken this perfect world that you created. And we are in need of a tremendous amount of mercy and a tremendous amount of grace. So many times, God, we've done what we wanted and not what you wanted for us, God. We've done things our way and we've walked away from you. So we ask forgiveness for that right now, God. God, I pray this morning that you would begin a work in transforming our hearts and transforming our lives so that we would be merciful to other people in the same way that you have been merciful to us, God, that people would see you through us, through the things that we say, the things that we do, the mercy we have, the forgiveness that we give, God. People would see you in that. So God, we ask that this morning, and this morning we are, the thing that we are most grateful for is that you let love be your highest goal. We're grateful this morning for your love and mercy and your forgiveness that you have offered to us so freely. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword dogwood to 779-77 or click the give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and more.